This is Amateur Logic 77 for April 15th, 2015. SkyPi, ThumbDV, and GridSquared GPS. This episode of Amateur Logic was brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com, and by ICOM. Out from the shack and into the sun, brighten your day with ICOM. Welcome to Amateur Logic, episode 77. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And it's good to be back with you again. I've never said that before. but you ha- No, you haven't. <laughs> but well, it really is good to be here this time. It is. It, it took a little bit to get here tonight, didn't it? It did. But yes, uh, uh, we're here now and got a good show lined up for you. A particularly good show tonight, I think, because all three segments are... are um, really just just right up our alley kind of stuff good yeah good, projects good yeah good good topics this time yeah so uh that's gonna, every time though right it every time but particularly this time yeah you know whenever we're shooting the show we have a, a chat room going on it's only during the period that we're actually shooting live so if you're watching live join us at amateurlogic.tv slash chat if you're not watching live you're watching a recording there's probably not going to be anybody there in that chat room. And, and if I look like I've been crying and my face is red, it's because I've been laughing at the chat room. Yeah, what right did they say in there when we fired up to go? <laughs> yeah, so I was saying, uh, let's party when it was about time. And they, I think Chip, somebody said, everybody put your lampshades on. So now i got this mental picture. Yeah. I told yeah. them to send selfies of them with their lampshades on to Tommy at AmateurLogic.tv. There you go. You know, there's a, a special celebration for amateur radio coming up next weekend and do either one of y'all know what that is i'm feeling kind of left out i haven't heard of that have you peter uh wouldn't it be something starting with d would it no it's it's not nothing dayton? nothing not starting dayton. with d it's one oh. that i had not really heard of before but World Amateur Radio Day is every April 18th, and radio amateurs worldwide take to the airways in celebration of World Amateur Radio Day. It was on this day in 1925 that the International Amateur Radio Union was formed in Paris. Amateur radio experimenters you know, were the first to discover that the shortwave spectrum far from being a wasteland that could support worldwide communications. Amateur radio was in great danger of being pushed aside. So the IARU got together in Paris in 1925. That's when it was created. And they started supporting amateurs worldwide. And just two years later at the International Radio uh, Telegraph Conference, amateur radio gained the allocation still recognized today in 160, 80, 40, 20, and 10 meters. We all learned something on that one. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of that. That's pretty cool. Is it always the 18th, or is it always the Saturday that falls right around in there? Uh, it says here every April 18th, and you know, I didn't even look at the calendar to see if that was a Saturday or not. It is It is a Saturday. It is a Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is this year. Next year, we'll have to see, but I... According to this, it's every April 18th. Well, it's handy if it falls on a Saturday, so that's a good thing. Yeah. So anyway, take to the airways, and let's uh, celebrate having these bands that we've got here. Well, I think, um, oh, there's one more thing we want to mention that, that's going to be going on. Actually, next month's show is going to be a special one. We're going to be live from the ICOM booth at Dayton Hamvention. That'll be Saturday, May the 16th at... 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, 1800 UTC. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, man, that's going to be a lot of fun. Come on by and see us out there. We're going to be live and and streaming live. And wear your amateur logic garb. Yeah, just like like these two 
model spokespeople have on here today. Uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Do come by though the uh, Icon booth if you're at Hamvention because we need a um, a cheering section there. It'd be pretty bad if we we're the only two there. It, it would be. That. It's, it's, I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of people. You know, that's the the fun of going to Dayton. I mean, seeing all the stuff is fun and everything, but mm -hmm. getting to meet all the people you talk to on the radio and, and Facebook and the chat room and everything, that that's a lot of fun, man. It's great. It is. It really is. And if you can't be at Dayton, then you can watch it at icomamerica.com. There'll be a link on there where you can go and see all the webcasts that they'll be streaming this year from Dayton. It's not just Amateur Logic. Uh, there are some others as well, but uh, they're kind of going all out for us because they're building up a stage just specially for us to do this. Yeah, yeah. So, pretty uh, good deal. Yeah, looking forward to it. So let's get on into the emails here. Tommy, I think you've got the first one this time around. Okay, I've got kind of a long one. I've got one from Bob, N5UIT. It says, Hi, Tommy, I found your show on the Roku a few months ago. I've been out of the hobby for a while. I had my license lapped after 20 years of being a ham. For many years, I was too busy raising kids and so forth and building a career in IT. The first episode of Amateur Logic I saw had something on the Raspberry Pi. Being an IT guy, I wondered how I, really, how I missed that. The next episode was the pilot for Ham College. A month later, I took my technician test and was assigned It's called KC1CZP. And um, anyway, he goes on about that, and he got himself a vanity call, got his original back. But he loves, he says he loves the work we do. Keep it up. Keep pushing the pie. I just got my pie, too, and having a great time with Python. It beats GW Basic or C and may surpass C++ in my mind. Pretty much everything does. Yeah, everything surpasses C++ <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> yeah, but he, he also tells us about a project he found, uh, amateur-related piece, uh, raspberrypi.org slash learning slash morse dash code and it's a morse code virtual radio and uh, i took a quick look at it It looks like a lot of fun so you pie guys go check that out yeah i have not looked at that one yet i i need to check it out yeah it's, pre it's pretty cool it looks fairly easy to build and uh anyway it's something fun to play around yeah. with peter what have you got oh. this time uh, well, for an email, yeah. Can I just preface, be, before I go to my email, can I just quickly mention something? I actually had an idea for using either an Arduino or a, um, uh, an, a Raspberry Pi, something I don't think anybody's thought of before. How about building a cuckoo clock with one? That would I, be... I think I, you're right. Nobody has ever thought of that before. That. Yeah. 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 The reason I, I mentioned is I'm actually in the market to buy a cuckoo clock from Bavaria at the moment, and so I'm looking around uh, as a for one as a souvenir. Um, so uh, that, and it occurred to me, oh, I could you could probably build something like this, uh, an electronic one with um, uh, you know with, with a Raspberry Pi and uh, have music and have a cuckoo pop out and you know uh, use your creative uh, to to you know make a nice scene and stuff. So so something um i'd love to do one uh, in australia with kangaroos and emus and stuff it'd be it'd be really really Didn't good but i'm not that uh, arty unfortunately anyway my email my first email is from um chris harper here and he uh, uh he mentions ah taking on the beast that is linux uh, while you did so you should point out to viewers to always go with one of the lts or long-term support versions of a distro like ubuntu or mint 17.1 is A-OK. -okay. My big beef with Fedora is that they're constantly releasing new versions and I can't keep up with them. Another point that was not clear is that Cinnamon is simply one of the many available desktops that runs on Linux. You can install as many different desktops as you want and then change your default desktop choice at the graphical login screen. Absolutely true. Um, my personal preference is, uh, uh, is Cinnamon, but... Uh, uh, yeah, you can you can have multiple desktops on your uh, um, sorry multiple Linux uh, distributions running on your desktop. Good tips as well. You were going to say something about that cuckoo clock a moment. Yeah, ago. I was going to say that might be the first digital cuckoo clock ever ever invented. It could be, and that would be the uh, first perfect project for that three D printer you want to buy. Yeah, I looked at those mm. recently. Did you? Yeah, they had them at Fry's in Dallas. How close did you come? 
Well, I had my hands all over it, but, but how I mean, close they come to paying for it? Pulling the trigger, yeah. And it crossed my mind two or three times before I left the store. Yeah. You'll but, have to go back. You're not that far from that fries when you're uh, over Unfortunately, there. I'm only about two miles from it. Well, there you go. You could yeah. walk, man. <laughs> you By the could, way, guys, you can make you, you a three D printed car. Sorry, did you guys also realize? Or this is my own opinion, anyway. That clock making, which is a uh, you know uh, an art that's been around for several hundred years, in my view, is actually an early form of computer programming. If you think about the way that clocks work, and you know the timing of the various cogs going together, it's it's actually a rudimentary computer. Yeah. I guess, in a way, yeah. yeah. Mechanical. Yeah. I guess maybe it kind of resembles some of the early computers with the gears and things. Yeah. That's a that that's an be. art to doing that. Like, well, it is. <clears throat> it really is. It was one of my grandfather's hobbies, not making clocks, but, but working on them. He, really? For some mm. reason, enjoyed yeah. that. That's yeah. technical. I guess, uh, I guess it kind of is the computers of the older generation. It's about yeah. as technical as you could get. Yeah. Well, I've got an email here, and this one comes from Aaron K5ATG, and he says, Hey, George, if you don't mind, I have a couple of questions for you. If you use a hamstick antenna as a vertical antenna on a mask, would you need some radials or a counterpoise? And also, exactly what is a dummy load and what is it used for? Well, if you used a hamstick as a vertical antenna, yes, you will need a counterpoise um, or, or radials for it. it. It's got to have those to work against. And as far as a dummy load, what is it? Well, a dummy load typically is a 50-ohm resistor. It's, it's a dummy antenna. It gives you a way that you can test your rig into a known good load and also where you can test it off the air. So yeah. uh, a dummy load's a good thing to have. Not, it's almost a necessity. It is for HF. Uh, mm-hmm. Not as many people have them for VHF or UHF, but for HF, yeah, it is pretty much a necessity. Yeah. little insight. I've actually got plans to build a high power, fairly high power dummy load on the show here pretty soon. Yeah, cool. Should be a fun project. Actually, well, before you continue, uh, George, uh, in your line of work with broadcast towers, how big were the dummy loads for the um, the broadcast transmitters? I had, uh, well, they, they can be a lot of different sizes. Probably the biggest one I've ever seen would be uh, 100KW, and it was water-cooled. Wow. Um, typically for a um, 100-kilowatt FM station, the transmitter doesn't run 100 kilowatts. It's somewhat less. You probably have three. Um, uh, 30 to a 50 kW dummy load for that. Water cooled like circulating water or just in a pool? No, it was circulating water on the one I was talking about. Now, you get down to, to say, maybe um, 25 or 30 kW, those are still water cooled, but they also make air cooled ones. Uh, they're, they're, they're fairly large in an air cooled one, but a water cooled one, you know, 50 kW will, it's about, oh, about this long and Maybe about that big around. It's oh, not yeah. not as big as your thing. It's just no, a fifty ohm resistor in there. Yeah, big one. Yeah, one trick though, and this is important because I ran into this when I was uh, working at a TV station down in Fort Myers. You got to have pretty clean water going into those things. Oh yeah. We had a lot of sulfur in the uh, in the well system they had there at the transmitter site, and it it would give you problems with the dummy load. We went through a lot of resistors. Make the that. water boil. Uh, I don't know if it made it boil or arc or what happened, but it would crack. It would um, crack the resistors um. in there. We'll come back in a moment, but first let's have a message from ICOM. Out from the shack and into the sun. Brighten your day with ICOM's selection of handhelds, mobiles, and HF rigs. Step outside with ICOM's ID51A Plus digital dual bander. Features include free downloadable RSMS1A Android app, Near me repeater function for D-Star as well as analog repeaters and integrated GPS. Hit the road with ICOM's analog IC2730A mobile or the digital ID5100A with internal GPS. Both radios include optional Bluetooth capability for hands-free operation, 50 watts output power on both VHF and UHF, 
and a large backlit screen for high-contrast viewing. Get mobile with ICOM's IC7100 D-Star Radio, which provides multiband and all-mode communications, and an angled control head and touchscreen for user-friendly operation. For solid HF operation this season, try ICOM's IC7600. This rig offers advanced DSP technology and three IF roofing filters, dual watch on the same band, and LED backlighting on an ultra-wide 5.8-inch display. Let ICOM brighten your day with their selection of handhelds, mobiles, and HF rigs. Make sure you visit icomamerica.com slash amateur today for more information on ICOM's complete line of amateur radio products. I guess we need to get on into some of these great segments we got tonight. Peter, we're going to take yours first. You want to set it up? Well, yes, uh, that's all pretty self-explanatory, but we're going to have a look at this box that I made. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again. Well, I'm not at home today. In fact, I've come out here 40 miles due east of Melbourne to a place called Mount Donabuang. It's a mountaintop in a national park. And, well, uh, apart from coming out here to admire the scenery and be eaten alive by the mozzies, uh, why have I come here? Well, I've come out here to test an invention of mine called the VK3PB SOTA box. What's SOTA, you ask? SOTA stands for Summits on the Air, and it's basically when amateur radio operators go to a mountaintop somewhere and they work other amateur radio operators from that mountaintop, in the same way that you might go to a, a, a rare foreign country like North Korea and uh, work uh, other amateur radio operators from that location. Now, one thing you do when you come to a mountaintop like this is you need to be able to give people your location. Now, you can give them your latitude and longitude, and you can probably get that from the GPS on your mobile phone. But amateur radio operators tend to use a grid square system called the Maidenhead Grid Square. It divides the world up into uh, 18 by 18, then that's subdivided into 10 by 10, which is in turn subdivided into 24 by 24. What you end up with is a little square, which is a couple of miles by a couple of miles, approximately, and um, it's six digits long. And so it describes a region, uh, not a, a precise location, but it's really a useful for giving people an idea about where you're located. So at home, for example, my grid locator is QF22PD. So, um, well, what's the purpose of this box then? Well, what the box does is it's got a GPS, an LCD, and an Arduino inside of it. When I flick on the switch, uh, the Arduino and the GPS will lock onto the satellites around me and determine the latitude and longitude uh, where I'm located. It will also pull down the exact time in UTC. Finally, the Arduino, from the latitude and longitude uh, that it's got, will then go on to calculate my maidenhead grid square. Or at least that's the theory. I've never tried this away from home, so uh, we're going to give it a try today. So let's give it a go. The moment of truth has arrived, but before I switch the box on, let me give you a heads up about the location of Mount Donabuang. I checked on Google Earth before I came here and found out that it's located at uh, 37.706905 degrees uh, south and 145.680826 degrees east. That calculates out to be a maidenhead grid square locator of QF22UH. So let's switch the box on and see what it comes up with. Now initially you've got a nil latitude and a nil longitude. Uh, that's the default and you'll get an invalid uh, message for the UTC. The maidenhead grid locator at this stage will be based on the latitude and longitude of nil and nil, but that will change. Now it's already locked onto the time, uh, 0531. I should uh, warn you that I've switched this on before and just warmed it up a little bit. From a cold start, it can actually take a couple of minutes to, to get going, but should be a little quicker now uh, that it's, uh, it's had time to, uh, to get started. And there we go. Now I said uh, I had a or checked Google Earth and got a uh, latitude of uh, 37706905. Well, it's come up with a latitude of 
37707118. That's because I'm a little bit away from the, the main tower here. And then uh, going in the other direction, 145-680-826 versus 145-682-617. So that's uh, within acceptable margins. Also, the Bainhead grid locator, as I said, was QF22UH. And that's exactly what the box has uh, is telling me is the Maidenhead grid locator. How good is that? Time now for a closer look at the parts that make up the VK3PB soda box. This is a standard Jiffy box, nothing uh, uh, particularly unusual about it. You can use any box you like. Here I've made up a little 9 volt connector through a switch and going into a female connector for the Arduino Uno. This is a cheap Chinese clone of an Arduino Uno, pretty stock standard. And of course, I've got a USB cable for programming uh, the Arduino Uno. Battery, of course. Now, this is a robot board, a little LCD board or LCD shield for the Arduino Uno. It just plugs into the top of the Arduino Uno like so. Now one important thing to note here is that when you get the board you'll have a little connector or rather a little variable resistor which is here which is actually wired into the top of the board here. Problem is it protrudes upwards and if you try to put this flush with your box you're going to run into problems because it will interfere and get in the way which is why I've wired some wires through to it and, and put it over here and I just tape that to the back of um, the LCD board when uh, uh, once I've uh, wired it all up that way it's out of the way and I can actually put my LCD screen into the box over here uh, I've got my U-Blocks GPS receiver. This is the actual uh, receiver and this is the little antenna over here. You see I've stuck that with some glue onto the top of the box and under here, underneath here, you'll see a little connector. I was finding that it was actually causing a little bit of interference and it wasn't working quite properly so I put a little bit of silver paper which I've glued on the back here. That seems to have helped a little bit. Uh, you know, it's probably optional, but it seemed to help uh, uh, the operation and reception of the uh, GPS receiver. The uh, GPS receiver, by the way, has four connectors, and they are uh, VCC, RX, TX, and ground. What you do is you take four wires out of the, those, and then what you do is you connect ground to the second pin counting across to the left here. So one, two, that that go, so you've got ground going to ground on the, uh, the little board there. Uh, VCC goes to this pin here. One, two, three, four, five across. Over here, this is uh, looking at the underside of the board now. If I turn it this way, uh, this pin here, and I'll see if I can count across here. One, one two, three, four, five, six, seven. The seventh, seventh pin is pin 13, and the sixth pin is pin 12. Pin 13 goes to TX on this little board, and pin 12 uh, uh, goes to RX. And so that's basically how it's all wired up. And uh, yeah, so basically it's a simple matter of connecting, or rather plugging the shield into the top of the Arduino, uh, programming it with the software that I put together and uh, of course having it connected up to the receiver as I've specified, applying some power and of course connecting the antenna up to the little receiver board here and it should all work. Interesting project Peter, so have you used it any more than than that once that we saw you sitting on the tree truck? Yeah, no, I've, I've you know, used it at home again, and uh, once I put it all back together again, and uh, yeah, it works perfectly. Um, I'll uh, what I'll be doing is writing up a uh, a page or two on on how to construct it, and we'll have a link in the show notes uh, to that uh, document for uh, for people to be able to uh, 
um, you know, build it themselves. And certainly if anybody does build it themselves, I'd be very keen to see a picture of, uh, of what they actually do. Yeah. yeah. And how you'll have, you'll have the it. program code out there too. Oh yeah, the, that'll be, the the program code will be included on the page as well. Cool. So um, yeah, it uh, took a little while to do, but uh, I'm really pleased about it because it is it is something that's actually very practical. If you're really into soda and you move around a lot, having a box like that could be quite useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, no that sure could be. So will you leave you leave it assembled like that? Yeah. Oh yes. 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 Cool. It's a, it'll sort of be a little trophy if you like to put up on a. Uh, I don't do um, any soda myself, but it's uh, you know just something I can put up and say, oh, I made that. Yeah, that's cool. Well, we'll be back in, in just a moment with uh, some more emails and some more videos here for you. At the end of each month, it's Amateur Logic's Ham College, the new show for those new to the hobby and those wanting to get into amateur radio. Which of the following is a purpose of the amateur radio service as stated in the FCC rules and regulations? That inductor and capacitor form a tuned circuit. That's how you tune the radio to the frequency that you want. The English language. We lived in town. I liked it. I, I listened to mine a lot. It was really cool because you didn't have to have a battery to power yeah. There's our homemade telegraph station. We can use it for long-distance communications. Oh, like, uh, what, three feet yeah, here? across the table. The answer is B. Voltage was named after Italian physicist Alessandro Volta. We can see we're generating a little bit of electricity there. It's DC. It's always great to go back and get a refresher. It well, sure is. A lot of that stuff, if you've been a ham for a while like we have, you, you don't really think about a lot of that stuff that often. They didn't have electric screwdrivers in those days, so that's why we're not using ones. That's why we went primitive with it. Yeah. So let's see if we can hear anything when we, uh, we fire off our spark gap transmitter. Well, we didn't build anything or blow up anything today, but... Uh, the night's still young. The night was still young. <laughs> well, it was close, because you see the size of that blue spark? Man, that yeah. was pretty impressive. Yeah, that was. I'm still, seeing, I'm still seeing spots from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got an email here that comes from our uh, friend, Nigel, over in the UK. And I think Nigel's in the chat room. Is he in the chat room? I believe so. He may be. He said, uh, can we tell about an up-and-coming ham fest? That's what oh, he okay. means. It's called uh, Amateur Radio Rallies in the UK. He's got a link for one here. It's narsa.org.uk, and it's taking place on the 12th of April this year in the town of Blackpool, Lancashire, and... It's the only uh, radio rally that his wife, Lady uh, Julia, 2E0JBP, and uh, he attend. So would you please tell the Ham Nation viewers and Amateur Logic viewers about the up-and-coming advent? Of course we will, Nigel. I'd like to go to uh, Hamfest over overseas sometime to see what it's like. I would, too. I'd like to make one um, in the U.K., and I'd like to make that big one over in Germany. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to go to one of those big ones down there where Peter is. I would, too. Well, what's your next email there? Wild. Yep. Yep. So, it's my turn? Yep, your turn. Okay. Well, I got one from Dennis, KD6AXQ. And he says, Hi, Tommy. Thanks for the information and instructions to put a shutdown switch on the Raspberry Pi. I've gotten a lot of emails about that thing. That was a good one. Yeah. Anyway, it says, following your instructions, I installed a new push-button switch on my DHAP to shut down the Pi in an orderly manner. I was using SSH to connect to the Pi via Wi-Fi and issuing the shutdown commands, which are just fine when my laptop was around, but now I can do it with a single button push, which is exactly why I wanted to do that, too. Thanks for posting the Pi Control Pi code in the wiki. It sure made the job easy. Thanks for the Python lesson being able to set up controls and initiate code from the GPIO will be useful. And I'm glad you uh, enjoyed that, Dennis, and uh, had a lot of good compliments about that. A lot of people uh, yep. found it useful. But mm-hmm. don't just yank the power out on your Pi. No, no, no. It, it, it'll be okay probably sometimes, you know, but there's going to be that one time when it's just going to 
kill up the uh, file system. Yep, and you'll be redoing everything from scratch, and yep. that's no fun. Yep. Well, Tommy, what have you got for us this month? I know you got got something special, kind of like something Mike and I did recently. Yeah, I do. It's uh, I ended up getting one of the um, Thumb DV devices mm-hmm. from Northwest Digital Radio. It's built built on the same chipset as the uh, DV3000. Let's take a look at it. If you ever wanted to get on D-Star and you were concerned about the cost or about how difficult it may be, then this is the show for you. Uh, no more excuses. I got this new toy here from Northwest Digital Radio. It's called the Thumb DV. You, you saw George's DV3000 segment a few months back. Well, This is built on the same Ambi 3000 codec chip, and it, it works fantastic. It really couldn't be any easier to set this thing up and use it. So let's kind of dig in and get started. First of all, I'm starting on a Windows 8.1 computer, so don't judge me. <laughs> My It doesn't have software for the Mac yet, or at least I haven't ran across any. So let's go ahead and just plug it into a USB port on the computer. It already installed the drivers for the serial port. This thing is going to show up as a serial device and then the software that we're going to use to connect to the D-Star reflectors and so forth are going to address it through that COM port. So we need to know what it was. It shows my COM port is COM3, so we'll need to remember that when we set up our other software. We can close that for now and close this. On George's DV3000 segment, he used Dummy Repeater and IRC DDB Gateway software, but we're going to use this one. Uh, it's called WinDV. It's from the Dutch D-Star group, and you can contact them here about getting the software. Now, the version I've got is a beta. It's the first build of it. I understand there's a build 2 out now. It's not out for final release, so if you want to try it, you can email the guy, and he was nice enough to send me a link to download it and I'm sure you'll probably do the same for you and their final release should be out here pretty soon according to the website so let's go ahead and install it WinDV and I'm going to go ahead and do the complete install I'm not going to be the readme this time. And it's there. There's our WinDV icon. So let's run it. Please configure the program in tools and options. And we need to open the hole in our firewall. I'm going to go ahead and, and do this so it'll work for all of them. This software is supported by donations, as you can see on the screen here. So if you like it, you know, donate to the author, you know, to keep, give him some motivation to keep improving it. So let's go ahead and close that. And we're going to go tools and options, like it said. And I'm going to put in my call sign, N5ZNO. And I'm just going to call this uh, C. And this is the call sign server. You can pick the one you want. This is the U.S. Trust one, Freestar, so forth, Dutch Star. So I'm just going to use the, the U.S. Trust server here. And you can turn on logging. I'm going to pick Thumb DV dongle. And my call sign again. And we need a sound card. So for sound, I'm going to use my LiveChat 3000 that I have that has been sitting around and I haven't used it for forever. So it's a good time to get a little bit of use out of it. I'll plug it up over here on the other side of the computer. And I see my headset earphone, headset microphone. That's my LiveChat there. I don't know why it's not showing the whole thing. But I'll click Save. As you can see right here, it found my dongle on COM3, 
which we looked up just to confirm it though that's a good thing now we restart the application so let's go ahead and do that close it and start her back up and I'll change this you can see this is configured for our thumb DV settings Let's go through and check everything. IRCDDB, we want to enable that. Let's pick one of the open quad ones like we did before. And save. And do it again. Settings. APRS, I'm not concerned with that right now. Not concerned with that right now. And tools, options again. I'm going to go ahead and put auth set up the authorization call because I think that's what's used to log on to the call sign server. So I'll go ahead and leave that to restart again. A lot of restarting here. Now, to connect to a gateway, we want to bring up the gateway button, click the gateway button here at the bottom, and you can pick D+, D extra, or DCS. So D+, is the U.S. trust stuff, so we'll go for K5. Now look for K5RKN, which is close by here, and there it is. And I'll try the Bravo module. Well, everything's set up and running. Let's go ahead and give it a try. Hopefully, George is around. I'll try to give him a quick call, but at the minimum, I'm set up where we can record the data stream and some audio that's coming back across the air so we can check the audio quality. feel like air traffic control with this thing on. Okay, so let's connect to K5RKN, and let's give him a call. W5JDX, W5JDX, N5ZNO. Well, hey, I was about to give up on you. How's the audio sound? I'm on the uh, Thumb DV right now. I'm in no hurry. Okay, in 5Z and O. How's that sound? Uh, that sounds pretty good. Um, I just need to touch up the level of hair when you come back. So this is the thumb DV that you're talking on. What are you using uh, for audio on it? Well, I had a yes, QSL on the Thumb TV, and I had a Microsoft Live Chat headset, um, headphones with a microphone built into them is what I'm using. Okay, sounds pretty good. I've got a little buzz here in my recording, and that's just coming from my radio, so uh, you'll have to ignore it, but... Um, other than that, it uh, it sounds good. Well, cool. Appreciate you doing that. Looking forward to hearing it. This is a neat little thing, man. It was really easy to set up. The whole thing, plugging it into the computer from from a clean machine and everything, probably be on the air in ten minutes or less. Well, good deal. Um, sounds like you got it going, and you're using it on a PC, huh? I'm using it on Windows 8.1. There you go. It's so easy to set up. I don't think you're going to find the least expensive way to get on D-Star. And, you know, it's a no-brainer. You don't have to worry about a lot of complicated settings. Not, not that the radios these days are complicated anymore. 
um, with the new DV modes, they're not. But, you know, this is even easier than that. Sometimes it's not convenient to carry a, a radio, but you can always keep this thumb DV in your pocket or whatever and uh, take it with you almost anywhere. So, anyway, 73, and I'll catch you next time. Hopefully I'll catch you on D-Star soon. Tommy, Mike, and I were just chatting in the chat room there, and, and real men use the DV-3000 to do it the, <laughs> the hard way. <laughs> that looked too easy, man. It, it was easy. It's, it's real easy. And uh, I, I like that thing. I thought I'd give it a try. But, you know, I think I'm just going to kind of leave it in my computer bag, and I'll, I'll be able to have D-Star everywhere. I, I usually take my ID-51 when I go out of town, but occasionally I leave in a hurry and I forget mm -hmm. it. So I'll be able to still get on D-Star pretty much from anywhere with that thing. Just pop it in your uh, Windows 8 PC there. I caught that. Yeah, that's a Windows 7 computer I usually carry to work. Oh, okay. Unless I have my Surface Pro yeah. with me. But. Right now, we want to get a message from MFJ. You know, Tommy, it's, it's not like they didn't have a couple of antenna analyzers. They've even got a new one now that's got something on it that none of the rest of them had. Awesome. It's actually got a couple of things the rest of them didn't have. Uh, cool. Now there's a VNA analyzer with features never before found in a low-cost handheld analyzer, the new MFJ226 Antenna Expert. Covering 1 megahertz to 230 megahertz with 1 hertz resolution, this MFJ Time Technology Vector Network Analyzer features open short load calibration, true reactants, including its sign, and a lot more. OSL calibration allows you to make measurements with exceptional accuracy by correcting the feed line loss and phase angle. No other analyzer in this price range can offer this, and you can store OSL calibrations of your test cables or feed line at different frequencies for future use. Signed reactance measurements let you know instantly if reactance is capacitive or inductive. Single frequency mode presents an unusually wide range of load information, including SWR, frequency, impedance magnitude, series and parallel impedance, resistance plus reactance, S1, rectangular and polar, capacitance and inductance. Swept frequency mode generates, displays, and captures accurate plots of frequency versus SWR, impedance, resistance, reactance, return loss S11, and phase angle. Plot a Smith chart to show S11 magnitude and phase angle over any frequency span you specify. A movable crosshair tracks the plot and displays S11 magnitude and phase angle at any frequency. 32 memory channels let you capture screens of measurements made in the field for download into your PC via the mini USB port. The MFJ226 has both the hefty fill and advanced performance of a professional fill service instrument, costing hundreds or even thousands of dollars more. This analyzer pulls together the latest advances in RF technology and delivers them at a price you can afford. Learn more about the MFJ226 and all their great antenna analyzers. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today. And that was a nice looking analyzer, Tommy. It's it's still sitting over there on the bench. You can look at it before yeah, you get I'll out of here. Yeah, I checked it out. That is nice, man. They've got every kind of antenna analyzer that you could think of, I guess. They they really do. And that one, it's the first one I've seen that had a Smith chart on it. Yeah. And maybe one day we'll we'll look at how you use a Smith chart. Yeah. You you know you talked about that one time on the show. Yeah, I keep putting it off, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> one day it's only been 10 years yeah only not, 10 years not quite it's like nine and a half well yeah Who's you got counting? six you got six months to get that <laughs> segment together well peter what's on your email stack there I, I guess this will be our last round of emails tonight i know you've got one more yes i've got one more here from uh, tom w3mbz he says the family received a roku box this christmas and when searching for channels to subscribe to, I found AmateurLogic.tv. This is a really great service you guys are offering to the amateur community. Today, home from work with one of the many contagious bugs going around, I finally took the time to watch a full episode and started with episode 73, A Hamtastic Christmas. If, last, if laughter is the best medicine, I think I'm well on my way to recovery. Also, as a hands-on techie turned manager with a dusty rig and soldering iron, your technical talk really hits the spot. I'm looking forward to getting back on HF and to the bench. Thanks again for all the fine work in 73s, Tom W3MBZ. Yeah, 
thanks uh, Tom um, there's uh, lots and lots of episodes to go back and uh, and look at I recommend you start at the beginning with the uh, the first 12 episodes uh, which include with Jimmy and uh, work your way forward and you'll see the way the uh, show has evolved over time yeah it's uh, quite a bit different yeah he should be thankful he didn't start off with number one yeah he would never watched yeah. another one would he <laughs> yeah and, and just remember that those early um, episodes were all in four to three aspect ratio, and it seems a long time ago that we went widescreen. Yeah, and shot with uh, DV on DV tape from Walmart yep. uh, video cameras. Yep, it was, and uh, yep. and what incandescent light bulbs and mm. special defocusing filters. It looked like on some of it. For at first, we didn't even have extra microphones. I don't think. I don't remember. When we were shooting that thing outside for Jimmy at the Wi-Fi site, we did. I don't. We didn't have external mics. I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I know do. it was windy that day. Yeah, it was. Well, I've got one here from another Tom N five KGN over in Longview, Texas, and he says, George, I just watched Ham College episode three last night. And I found the explanation of how to use the mirrored meter movement to overcome parallax errors to be interesting and not one that I'd heard before. I had to go test it and found that uh, it was accurate. And here's what we're talking about. Uh, another method and uh, one that I was always told was to line up the meter needle with the reflection. And when you move your viewpoint, uh, you accomplish that, the meter uh, needle is dead on. And that's the way I've always done it, Tom. It was someone in the chat room now, and I don't remember uh, exactly who it was that suggested that now, that you could just look at the mirror itself and and you would know that you really didn't have to. Been, it might have been John off the Facebook I group. think it was John, yeah. Uh, I believe that's. I believe you're right. But anyway, you can see what we're talking about parallax error there. If you look and you you see the needle itself, and then the reflection uh, in the mirrored scale there, they don't line up. Mm -hmm. So if you're off to the side a little bit, then you could be reading your analog meter wrong. Yeah, it's kind of like when your wife is fussing at you because you're about to run out of gas, but she's looking at the gas needle from the side. Yeah, or the speedometer. That that works either yeah. way. You need to slow that thing yes. down. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Did you have any more emails, Tommy? Yeah, or I only had a couple this you, time. You only had a couple this time. So I guess we need to get on with another video now. You know, um, we'll talk about it more when we come back. But uh, I, I had a lot of fun. This past weekend, I built another project. And... I used it on the air, and I actually set some kind of record, but we'll we'll come back and talk about that okay. in a minute. Today I'm going to build a new kit called the SkyPi 40. It's a software-defined transmitter for HF, and it's designed for QRP enthusiasts and experimenters who want a modern and versatile software radio created for the Raspberry Pi. You can find the SkyPi at radwave.com. It covers WSPR, CW and RIDI. The 1 watt SkyPi is available as a kit or fully assembled. You supply a Raspberry Pi, it can be a Model B or B. You just connect an antenna and 12 volts power, an HDMI monitor, USB keyboard and mouse, and a Raspberry Pi SD card, and you're ready to start sending digital QRP. And if you enjoy working remotely, since a Raspberry Pi can be controlled over a LAN, You've got that possibility as well. They've also recently released the SkyPi RX, a receiver to go with this kit. All the components come packaged in little packages, and each one is labeled, like a quantity 2 of 200-ohm resistors, 10 microfarad capacitors, a quantity of 4, and all of them are like this, so it's going to be easy to determine which part is which. You really don't have to read the color codes or get out a magnifying glass and look at tiny numbers on a component, they're already packaged. And because of the way that they've been packaged here, 
when we install them on the PC board, it's going to be a little different than with a lot of other kits. Like, they'll have us install all the 10K ohm resistors first and then move on to another component. So it's not like we're working on one section of the board at the time. We're working with each group of components. So let's get started. They supply thorough instructions on how to build the kit. And each step here has a place to check it off as you complete it. One neat trick that they show here is how to bend the leads on a resistor so that it's going to fit correctly on the board. Our first step is to install the 10K ohm resistors. So we'll bend the leads the way that they showed in the instructions. And that's a perfect fit with the leads bend as instructed. As long as I'm here, I'm going to do all the resistors at once. Now, this is not necessarily the way that the instructions have you do it. Now, let's solder all of those. Now that was kind of fast, and you may want to take your time and enjoy putting the project together. We should take a magnifying glass and just check, though, to make sure we didn't create any solder bridges and that everything looks good. And then we'll move on to the capacitors. All the capacitors are back, too, making them easy to install if we just follow the instructions. The only ones we really need to pay attention to are the 10 microfarad electrolytic capacitors here. These are polarized, so we need to be sure we get that right. C1 goes up here, and you can see there's a plus on the PC board. Well, there's not a plus on the capacitors, but there's a minus, so we know that goes in the opposite hole from the positive. Usually the positive is the longer of the two leads as well. Now, the protection diode is the larger. There's also a small signal diode in there. That's not the one we want for this. Diode D1 right here. You notice we've got a stripe on the diode. That goes on the side that the arrow is pointing toward. Another part of the power supply that we'll install now is the voltage regulator. Next, we'll install U1, which is a NAND gate. It's the only dip package in the kit. There's a notch here in the end of it. We install it so that matches the notch on the silk screen. We may have to bend the leads slightly to get it to fit. Now we install D7, the small signal diode. There again... We've got one end has a band on it that goes in the direction of the arrow. Then we install the PNP transistor. It's labeled PNP right on the package. This one is an MPS 2907A. Q3 is right here. You can see there's a flat side on the transistor. We might set up with a wider flat side here on the silk screen. Then we'll do Q2. Same thing here. There's a flat side. We line that up with the wider flat side here on the board. Then we've got an NPN transistor in a metal can. This one is Q1. And you can see the way that the leads are orientated here. Three in this order. We match it up down here. The emitter will be the one that's got the tab on the transistor. And that one gets kind of warm. So we've got a heat sink that goes on it. Now we've got a couple of inductors. And we also wind some inductors on the toroids. They're not in the package right now because I've already wound them. The first one we'll install has 19 turns on the core here. And you count every time that the wire passes through the hole, that counts as a turn. So you would count on the inside rather than the outside. Let me just show you that I've already tinned the leads right here to melt the insulation off of there. Now to keep this in place until I get it soldered, I'm just going to put a little piece of tape on there. After we've soldered the toroid inductors in and checked them for continuity, we install the connectors on the board. Now it's time to install the connector for the Raspberry Pi. That goes right here, except it goes on the bottom of the board. Now I'm propping up the corner of the boards here to try to get this as level as possible for the Raspberry Pi connector. Once I've got the first few pins, I can pick it up, get it back on my vise where it's easier to work with. Now we install the antenna connector. That also goes on the bottom of the board. And now we've got to install the LEDs, and they go right here. And I have never seen any LEDs just like this before, so this is a new one on me. These are surface mount. 
they should fit entirely on top of the board. Now we could install the optional receive port if we wanted to, to allow us to feed a receiver from the same antenna connector here. And there's a few components that go at the top. Or we can get the new SkyPi RX module, which is a receiver that came out for this board after it was initially developed. That's probably what I'm going to want to do, so I will not be installing just the receive port today. So that's it. We're finished building. Now that we've got everything else done, it's time to install the SkyPi onto a Raspberry Pi. Now you can use an original Model B, or you can use a Model B+. Currently, at the time I'm shooting this video, it will not work with a Raspberry Pi 2 Model B, but I believe they're working on that. So what we do is line up the connector right here so that you can see the cutout in the board is where the RCA connector will fit. And we just want to double check to make sure all the pins went in correctly. And now it's time to apply power. We'll just put 12 volts right here on the Sky Pi. And you'll notice the Raspberry Pi begins booting up. That's because it's getting its power through the connector here. We don't need to connect power to the mini USB port on the Raspberry Pi. We need to make sure that we've got a dummy load here on the Sky Pi because it could transmit now. We don't want it doing that into an open and destroying the output transistor. The first thing we want to do when we get booted up is check to see if Wiring Pi was installed on our image. We can do that by typing GPIO space read all. And you can see I've already installed Wiring Pi here. I had to do it since it was not already on my image, but that's covered thoroughly in the documentation. Since I'm going to try WSPR mode here, I need to set the date to be accurate within one second because that's real critical with WSPR. Next, we'll follow the instructions to download radwave underscore WSPR. Once we've downloaded it, we'll create a directory named SkyPy and move the file to there. Now we can bring up a command prompt and type in the command to begin sending whisper transmissions. Unfortunately, I get an error message saying command not found. I discovered that if I right-clicked on the file inside File Manager, the execute permission was set to nobody. So I'm going to change that to anyone, since I'll be the only one using this Raspberry Pi. Let's try our command again. And there we go. It's ready to transmit. The program will wait for the correct time slot to send a transmission. Could be several minutes before the first one. Once the transmission starts, it's going to last approximately a minute and 50 seconds. Now just to see if anything was transmitting, I decided to connect my oscilloscope. And sure enough, there's a transmission going on. And now we can see the transmission has ended. It's going to wait about two minutes and then do another transmission. So I think I can hook this up on an antenna and we can go to the website and see if we're actually being heard anywhere. So now I visit the WSPRnet.org website and find the maps, scroll down, select 40 meters, and I'll have a look. And I can see propagation is not that good. There's nothing going on between the U.S. and Europe. We've only made a couple of transmissions, and we've already been heard by three stations. I'm going to let it run for several hours here, and we'll check back later and just see what we got. It's about 9.30 on a Saturday night now, and here's a data capture of the past six hours. You can see it looks like WSPR has been sort of busy. Let's zoom on in and take a look at how we've done. There I am right there. It's got me off a little bit on the grid square there. I'm really more over in this direction, but uh, close enough. Well, let's click on it and see. I've got these stations here reporting. Rough count there, about 27. And we can narrow the search so that it only shows my call sign. And it looks like I've been heard in all four corners of the United States, as well as in Canada. I've been received three times over in Europe, in Denmark, the Netherlands, and Germany. So I'm thinking, not too bad for a first attempt on a 40-meter off-center-fed dipole. Now, this is not the only mode that you can work with the SkyPi. It'll also do CW and RIDI, and if someone wants to, they can write a program to handle other modes. So I'm impressed. One watt on the SkyPi with Whisper works really well. And it does work really well, Tommy. As a matter of fact, um, I uh, was corresponding with Pete at Radwave, the people who make that device, uh, a couple of days ago. 
and he had looked up online and and saw where I had made the contacts there, and he says, uh, you are the new SkyPi 40 distance record holder with 7,929 kilometers W5JDX to DK6UG. Congratulations. No way. Yep. The prior record was 6,983 kilometers, which means you beat the record by about 1,000 kilometers. No way. Yep. Wow, man. I, I would not have guessed that. I didn't think my antenna was that good, but yeah. I guess I just hit it at the right time. I need to take that thing back over there to the house and see how it works on mine. You do? You're kind of scared to know. Huh? Yeah, well, I don't know. It, uh, Actually, my antenna works pretty good on 40. Yeah. Um, I, it, it surprised me. I mean, I, I didn't even think about looking to see if I competed with the record because they were... And this is for the Sky Pie 40. This is not Whisper overall. Oh, sure. Yeah. Know. But uh, one watt, yeah, to Germany. Not not too bad. That was a lot of fun, too. That proves right there you don't have to have an app. You don't have to. No, you really don't. Uh, not for Whisper, anyway. Yeah. One watt did pretty good. Well, we're about to wrap it up here, but a couple of things we want to talk about before we go. You might notice our, our spokes models here are <laughs> flying the colors tonight. And you can get an Amateur Logic t-shirt, a polo shirt, or a hat, or various other objects of interest there for Amateur Bling. Logic fans. Bling. Yes, that is a perfect term <laughs> for it. AmateurLogic.Spreadshirt.com. Go visit. Pick you out something there you like. And, and wear put it, it to on. Dayton. Wear it to Dayton. Yes, we want to see lots of these in Dayton. That, yeah. We that may, we may need to come up with some kind of prize, sir. Everybody's got one of those. If they give us their uh, a QSL card, we'll come up with some kind of a drawing. Well, we could give them a QSL card. <laughs> <laughs> win a, if you come wearing your T-shirt, maybe with, uh, get in the drawing to win a T-shirt. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> I know. We need to put a little thought into that. Yeah, we do. Uh, obviously. <laughs> a lot more than I've done so far. Yeah. Uh, speaking of dating, though, yeah, we do want you to come by and visit with us. That's where the next episode of Amateur Logic is going to be shot from. It's going yeah. to be live at the ICOM booth uh, Saturday, May the 16th at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, 1800 UTC. Yeah, yeah, come out and join us. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, if you can't get there, it's on the live stream from ICOM America's website. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be a two-hour episode. So we've got to come up with something between now and then to be on there, don't we? That's a lot of bloopers over two hours, man. <laughs> yeah, there probably will be a few in there. Oh, I can guarantee you. Yeah, but it's going to be a lot of fun, and we do hope those in Dayton will join us, and and those of you at home will join and us, And hopefully too. we'll be able to hold back some of the laughing sessions, and it won't be like an hour and a half of laughing, 30 <laughs> minutes of content. Now, we won't be streaming it here. Uh, like no. we're doing now, so It'll, so it's only going to be on the ICOM site for yeah. the stream. So. ICOMAmerica.com, and there'll be a link on there to all their uh, uh, Dayton live streams. But we should we should be able to update the the live stream page on the Amateur Logic site. Yeah, to point that. to it. Yeah, yeah, we we'll try it. We're going to be doing an awful lot yeah. getting set up. Hopefully, for that we'll be able to do that. But watch yeah. watch the social media, the Facebook group, and the Google Plus, and all that, and Twitter. Mm-hmm. All that stuff for the links. Yeah. So a lot of fun there. Wish you could be with us, Peter. Mm. Oh, well, just uh, just the way things are panning out this this year. But uh, we might get to see you guys later in the year. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I hope so. Well, uh, one other thing we've got going on this coming Monday night. What is that, Tommy? It's a net night. Amateur Logic Echolink Net. Monday, April the 20th at... 8.30 p.m. Central Daylight Time. We'll be on the Do Drop In conference server. That's star, Do Drop In star, and node 355-800. Man, you got it all just perfect that time. Almost so, like you were reading Almost it. like it was scripted. Yeah. But I, I, always, I always have trouble with the date. Mm-hmm. But the, the That's note, because sometimes I put the wrong date on Sometimes there. you script it wrong for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does it on purpose to throw me off. And uh, any final closing thoughts before we go, Tommy? Just 73, and see you in Dayton, and if you try to wear your uh, amateur logic garb and cheer yep. us on. 
Yeah. Peter? Yep. Um, I'd mention Anzac Day coming up. Anzac Day celebrates the Australian and New Zealand return soldiers. And uh, on that day, we, uh, we Australian amateurs get to use the AX prefix instead of the VK prefix. So um, we look to uh, hear, hear a few people on air uh, using their AX prefixes on that date. And, uh, yeah, se- otherwise, 73s. Yep, and also uh, April 18th, World Amateur Radio Day, that new holiday we just learned about. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. On that, I'll say 73, and we'll yep. see you next month. All right, 73. Yeah, 73's from down on that. I found out about today, so I thought we might ought to mention it. It's... Well, Peter, you, <laughs> your picture is right there on the advertisement. <laughs>